sense it in our spirit. We know it. We've received of it. And we want to receive of it all the more. We thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. So while we're at Philippians 4.19, which was our scripture uh, for the offering, uh, we're going to talk about the fact that the glory is our source. Amen. The glory is our source. Earth is not your source. Your job is not your source. Your spouse is not your source. Uh, even though God uses people and, and when we have covenant relationships with people, um, they are people that we can depend on in, in many, many ways. But they're not our source. That person that we uh, love and depend on oftentimes uh, is limited in their resources as well. And sometimes it puts extra pressure on a person of limited resources to have to be expected uh, to do so much. And we all know what that feels like. Parents, when, you, when your children want many things and your paycheck is only a certain size, you feel that pressure of that expectation because you've trained them to expect that you would supply needs for them as, as good parents always do. Uh, but you do feel that. Husbands, when when wives want everything under the sun, hallelujah. Oh, excuse me, where am I? I digress. <laughs> yes, like I said, uh, we just want uh, things that make us feel loved and cherished and appreciated. The bigger the better, right? All right. But anyway. But they feel the pressure. And if they don't, no. <laughs> you didn't ask enough. No, it's an old joke. It's an old joke, ladies. It's just, you know, just me being me. Um, but anyway, you know what I'm saying. We we feel the pressure because we want to show love and we want that person to depend upon us. We want them to be pleased with us and satisfied in life with us. But we have to again remember that that individual is not our source. It's just, you know, that way. And so if you really know God and you love God, uh, you're cool with that. You understand that, that you make your requests known to God. And <clears throat> there are certain things that, you know, sometimes he will speak to your spouse to do certain things to, uh, for you that that you know they appreciate. I was telling somebody uh, years after my husband had passed away, I still would, when I would go to the store, I would look at things and think to pick it up for him. You know, because that was, that's how my life was. You know, you, you want to give to the person uh, that you love. And so God feels that way about us too. He wants to give us everything that we need, but think about all the people he has to serve. Think about all the Christians and the sinners because he has to provide for them too. Uh, you know, not in a covenant way, but still there's provision that can be made for people who don't have covenant with God. And so, uh, but think about what he has, what kind of a storehouse he'd have to have to take care of everybody in the whole world and from generation to generation. And so it has to be unlimited and it has to have certain capabilities. And so we're going to talk about what that is today, uh, the unlimited, the, the potential of the realm of glory that God draws from uh, 
uh, for our supply and what that place is like, what that kingdom is like. That word glory <coughs> really means honor or praise. And <coughs> it means an abundant place. So it's a place of high honor, praise, and abundance. That's what glory means. The Old Testament definition of glory is a little bit different for a couple of reasons. The New Covenant definition of glory really refers to a a state that's attained whenever God's authority is on the scene. And so it's a place that can be reached. Also, it's a little more tangible for us because we live with God all the time. So we draw from glory um, just in our everyday getting up. When you wake up every morning, that is a realm of glory that has sustained you through the night. It's kept you well because you're not depending upon natural or, or I would say you're not limited to purely natural means of being taken care of. When you wake up in the morning, you wake up differently than a, a person that doesn't have God living on the inside of them does. You got me? You wake up because the life of God brings you into uh, an alert state of being an alert consciousness so I can remember people will say well God uh, woke me up and God did this and God did that and I'm thinking to myself huh but the more I think about it that is true you know it's not and I would say this that most people are not conscious of it to that degree and I don't think there was that much activity to that degree in that person's life but they sensed that there was a connection a God connection there that they were able to get up so the Bible says that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead quickens or makes alive makes aware makes conscious that wakes up our mortal bodies and so you're you're awakened with a supernatural power you don't just get up groggy and complaining until you get your coffee you know you can spring up into life and and move out because of of that whatever what in other words whatever that that day demands of you you have the impact of the resources for that total day when you get up out of the bed they're imparted to you the realization of that's imparted to you you know that you have the ability to meet whatever uh, comes your way you have the ability to plan for good things. You have the ability to look at your day with hope and expectation instead of dread. So there's a total difference in waking up. I know, I, I know it's different being saved and not being saved. It's totally different. You know, I'd get up, you know, if I had to go to work, I'd stick one toe out. And, you know, then the ankle came and, you know. <laughs> You know, husband get mad at you and he said, just don't do this. Just cut it out. You think that's strange? Pastor Shirley's husband told her the same thing too. So it's kind of like a family (laughs) gift. It's a gift. (laughs) I used to complain. I said, I don't know why I went to nursing school. I'm an artist. I I just don't keep (laughs) it. Ain't done nothing artsy in years, you know. 
I was going to find my, my gift somewhere, but whatever was happening, you know. And so, I, but it's totally different when I get up now. I've learned how to meet with God in, in the early hours before I wake up, and I begin to talk to him mentally about my plans for the day. And so he'll help me plan out everything from A to Z, and it works just like he says it'll work for me, you know. It's not boring. There's a security there. I can, I can throw some things in there just for fun, you know. But I'd rather have a plan that God can help me with for what's going to happen throughout the day, and it's all success. I never anticipate anything going wrong. You know, I really don't. Now, there are times when there are things that, that we're working on that have to be worked out and be corrected. But some, and sometimes I'll get concerned about them, a little overwhelmed, but then I'll step out and take a breather and understand, you know, I just haven't gotten to the end of it yet, but God is going to get me there. You understand? So that awakening is totally different than what sinners do and what you did before you knew the Lord. You get up supernaturally by the power of the glory of God that's working in you because you're in Christ Jesus and that's where the glory is. That's where it resides now. So the Old Testament word for glory <clears throat> meant heavy and it meant burdensome but in a good way. So the, the Old Covenant believer felt that God was big and too big. For him to handle, you know, too big. Uh, big in the sense of, boy, God's got so much that I can't hold it all. Got me? Uh, the old song, so high you can't get over him, so low you can't get under him, around him, so forth and so on, came from Old Testament revelation of who God was. Part of what God did when he, uh, when his glory would be revealed to people, it would often be revealed around the, the uh, temple and the worship that took place there. So worship then, we can say, causes the glory of God to manifest to man. Just like it did under the old covenant, it caused it to manifest there. The Hebrew word for glory, it really means copiousness and wealth. It means magnificence or splendor. So you have all these extravagant terms to try and describe the realm that God resides in. The realm that encompasses God. <clears throat> The glory realm was also the manifestation of God's presence. Some of the older Hebrew writings would describe the glory of God. They referred to it as the Shekinah. S-H-E-K-I-N-A-H. The Shekinah of God. And the Shekinah refers to a dwelling or a settling of God's presence as in the te temple or tabernacle. Do you remember the cloud of glory that sat over the tent of meeting where the priests would meet with God? And the Bible says that that same cloud or Shekinah 
covered them everywhere that they went. So they were protected from the earth by the glory of God. Did you get that? The same way we are protected from the earth by the glory of God. There are harsh things that happen in the earth. There's famine, there's poverty, there's lack. There's separation, divorce, death, all of those things. But we are protected from the onslaught of the earth's problems by the glory of God. So you just depend on glory as your source of everything. As long as that cloud hung over that tabernacle, the Israelite would come up and get out of his own tent every morning and look over the tent where the priest was to minister. And if he saw that cloud, he knew it was going to be a good day. It's the same thing. Amen. The same thing with us. You can get up every morning knowing you're going to have a good day because the glory of God woke you up. It sprung you up and brought life to you for this day. And you can be assured that God is going to be in it. He's going to help you, protect you. Anything that's going wrong will not come nigh you. Huh? So you can go take a nap, go go to sleep, you can rest, put your feet up, whatever you can chill, do whatever you desire because you don't have to go anywhere and anticipate problems like you got to go out there and provide for it out of this natural realm. You can ask God for the things that you need. You can petition heaven. You can draw from that realm of glory anything that you need at any time. So the Shekinah was the dwelling or settling of God's presence as in the temple or tabernacle. That word Shekinah means to inhabit, to settle, or to dwell. So it was the settling of God's power and presence among his people that was Shekinah. There was an Old Testament, some Old Testament laws, rules that, that, that they used to govern their normal local life. And they felt that where ten were gathered for prayer, the Shekinah rested upon them. That's what they felt under the Old Covenant. Now we know that twelve is the number of man's government. Ten is the number of man's judgment. So when, say for instance, if ten people Going to prayer means ten people going to judge on certain matters that were here on earth. It was said that the Shekinah was there to guide them and to help them. That was God's number for man to come into prayer so that things that needed to be judged, things that were going wrong on the earth, things that you need to intercede for, the Shekinah or the presence of God was there with them. It says that when three sit as judges, the Shekinah is with them. So, God, you know, God would do things like he would uh, appoint elders out of every tribe and those people would hear cases. They had uh, the gates of the city. They would sit and they would hear different matters. Say if, if I went over to Tony's house and I stumbled and fell. And Whiplash Willie came and gave me his, his lawyer's card. Then we would go to the gates of the city. Now, who was able to hear a case? They said if three were there, that meant that the Shekinah, or God's presence, was there to guide them and make a right judgment. 
see. That's what you want. You want everything to work out according to God's plan. So God's plan depended upon certain certain aspects of the law being carried out. And when he approved of them, his Shekinah or his glory was there. And the outcome was always the will of God. The Shekinah was said to have been present when David composed the Psalms. So then there's creativity in the glory of God. You can understand God's mind. You can interpret it. And you can bring something out of that realm for people to hear and be blessed by. It's the same thing where we talk about the prophetic realm of the spirit. We, you know, in our meetings, we, we depend on the prophecy of God, the song of the Lord, however it comes, the word of God to come to bless the people. It's the same thing, same concept, Old Testament. There was a presence of God, a certain presence through which his creative voice could be heard. And so there was that, that covering, that cloud, that presence that you could actually work in and you could participate in and understand and draw from it. So the creative aspect of God's glory is extremely important for us. Because we can come into that realm wherever we gather together and worship God and God can orchestrate a meeting in such a way that it will be a blessing for people and it won't be like playing playing your tapes the same songs over and over again see if they're if it's coming from his realm of glory it's fresh it's new it's meaningful it has substance it's not boring it it has life to it and so we depend on that because there there is a creative element to it the shekinah manifests in the form of joy so whenever there is joy present in the atmosphere the Shekinah is there, or the manifest presence of God. And it's connected with prophecy and creativity. So oftentimes under the Old Covenant, the Shekinah was what the Old Testament prophet had to stand under in order to hear God accurately and prophesy accurately. It was said that, remember when Saul came down, he was looking for his father's donkeys, he came down and, and Samuel told him that you will meet a company of prophets and you will be changed into another man because the glory of God would come upon you. And he said you will prophesy just like the prophets do. And so under that Shekinah there was creativity and there was the utterance so that anybody who got under it and could yield to it would prophesy as well. See. Now we have it as the gift of prophecy, but there it came out from under a cloud in a realm. It's the same thing now. It's just a personal thing. It's not so much a group thing anymore. It can be. But in that day, it was a personal thing. That if the power of God or the presence of God came down, everybody that was enveloped under it could partake of that and could obey what the Spirit of God was saying. And then that, that, that realm would lift and they would go back to their normal living. So they really depended upon this presence of God coming down whenever it came down and leave whenever it leave because God was done. In this, in our covenant, 
Our riches are in glory in Christ. So they're within us pretty much. We can draw from within to receive whatever it is that we need from God that they got just by visitation. We can have it really any time we start cooperating with the Spirit of God. But that realm that we're drawing from is the same glory realm that it was back then. The availability of God is still the same. It's really more available to us now. Because we know how to live as righteous people. We know how to stay in contact with God on a continual basis. The the uh, Talmud or the Jewish law outside of the Bible, now it's drawn from the Bible, but their laws were more detailed in the Talmud. It says that the Shekinah does not rest on laziness, idle conversation, or lightheadedness as an emotional giddiness. So, say for instance, we were talking a little bit about this yesterday when we talked about the false church versus the true church and religious traditions of men versus the manifestation of God's word. Whenever there, uh, people could get emotional, you know, some churches traditionally people shout and jump up and get all emotional and stuff like that. Oftentimes, that is not the presence of God causing those. Those are just emotional reactions where people don't know what else to do and they'll get all so in in the Talmud it said that the Shekinah does not rest on people who are emotional, giddy or lazy or idle. You got me? So it, it's kind of interesting that these emotions are not compatible with being drawn from God's spirit. But in God's spirit there is joy. But you have to be wise to understand the origin and where that's coming from. Is it coming strictly from people's emotions or is it coming from the presence of God causing that and providing that joy for people to partake of? It depends on where it comes from. In strictly emotionalism, the human being provides it. When it's the glory, God provides that fruit for people to partake of you see and so you see a lot of times in in some traditional churches people are trying to manufacture God that's what I say they're trying very hard to feel something or get something and it's not just not there because God's conditions are not being met for him to manifest his presence the way he would like to he wants to manifest to all of his people But there are certain laws and ways that govern it and certain ones that don't. And so you want to know what causes God to come down in great power and and great glory. So they said that the Shekinah was often uh, associated with some type of obedience to God's laws and caused his presence to come down. Isn't that the same thing that we know? That if we obey God's laws... And we worship him in spirit and in truth. His presence will manifest. We said this before. The Shekinah is what caused Saul to prophesy with the prophets. Because it tended to capture and invade the people that it would come into contact with. So really the glory of God is so heavy and weighty. That it's not something that is easily manipulated or can be manipulated by humans. It can't be handled by humans. In Second Chronicles 5, 
if you'll turn there. Y'all still with me? Yeah, I know it's a little little different, but we need to need to understand what we talk about, I guess, you know. I mean, we can talk about it, we can experience some things, but it's good to get understanding. So in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, did I say? And <clears throat> I guess it's... In verse 13, well, we'll start with um, 12. It says, Also the Levites, which were singers, all of them of Asaph, of Heman, and you'll notice these names if you read your Psalms, little titles at the top, and they'll tell you who wrote some of these when that information is available to them. All of them from, of Asaph, Heman, and Jedathan, with their sons and their brethren, being arrayed in white linen. Now see these things are very important. How you dressed under the old covenant. What you wore. Uh, did you bring your instruments? Were you the right people? You had to come from the right tribe. You had This had to be your gift. This had to be your skill. You got me? You couldn't just jump up and grab the mic. You know they didn't have open mic. <laughs> God didn't play that. Okay. <laughs> Being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals, psalteries, and harps, stood at the east end of the altar, and with them 120 priests surrounding with trumpets. It came even to pass as the trumpeters and singers were as one, on one accord. See, under the old covenant, it took a concerted effort. There was no uh, stars, you know, uh, superstars. People that stood out, blew up, whatever, you know, we say they do now. This was a, a God-ordained, God-orchestrated, God-prescribed method of receiving the presence of God and having a successful meeting in the things of God. And it says, <clears throat> it came even to pass as the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound, to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good and his mercy endures forever, that then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. So then there's the presence of God, That's so powerful and weighty, it'll knock you down. Now, I know many people don't uh, think much about being slain in the spirit, but I wish they read their Bibles. You know, you'll find people even who are skilled in, in altar ministry having goofy ideas about, well, fall down, don't fall down, do you have to fall down? I don't know, but when God came in back with these people, all they did was had the right people wearing the right clothes on the right day with the right instruments on one accord. Nobody doing what they wanted to do. Grabbing for the mic, wanting a solo. And God came in. This was under the old covenant. God came in with such power and authority that they couldn't stand up. So there is a place where you can't stand up under the glory of God. You got me? You cannot. 
It didn't say that some priests decided to fall and some decided not to fall. It said that the power of God came in with such force that they could not stand to minister. And these were the people who were used to it. So if it knocked down the preacher, what do you think it will do for the person who's not accustomed to the power of God? Huh? Just saying, don't get involved in these controversies about whether it's good, bad, uh, you have to fall, don't have to fall. It's not about having to. It's about can you. Huh? It's about can you. See, I hate it when people do that because what, what they do is they plant seeds of controversy in people's minds where there wasn't one before. Most people, when they come to the altar, all they're doing is responding to the Holy Spirit prompting them to get up and go get some help for what's wrong with you and it brought you here. How have we got over into whether or not you're supposed to fall or not? See, it's about getting help and getting, getting what you came here for. And how you get it, you come up to the altar and get it and what happens is what happens. But I can tell you, that even Moses in his bunch and, and you know the people under the law had a, a way to get into the presence of God where he would come in in his full manifestation. What they knew, that description that we just read about the glory of God, the weightiness of God, but in a good way. huh? So yeah, you fall under the power of God. It's a weightiness, but in a good way. See, you don't have to argue about it. It's not right and it's not wrong. It's just God. You got me trying to help you. And so it is scriptural. I don't like these people that get into all this stupid stuff. They pay attention, you know, and they're ministers. You think they'd be paying attention to whether that person got healed or better. They're paying attention to fall or not fall. I mean, if the preacher's a little screwy, what what hope is there for, you know what I'm saying? I mean, this ain't kill preacher day, but hey, you know, if the shoe fits. But I don't get into controversy like that with people. But I can tell when people receive what they came for. And I can tell you many people who come with that in there are not going to fall in their minds. are missing the whole point of being there. People who engage in that controversy in their minds are missing the whole point for being there. So... You know, but but the glory was manifested in such a great way that the priest could not stand. So the power of God knocked him down. Doesn't say he tried to stand up and tried to stand up and tried to get up. And so it just, God came in and everybody that wasn't God fell down. You got me, could not stand anymore. And I think that's totally appropriate. Because if you're not God... And he's there in his full power. What are you What are you going to do? I just kneel down just to be respectful. I mean, come on now, folks. This is it's foolish to enter into. You know, it's, the Bible forbids that. You know, uh, controversies, meaningless controversies, endless genealogies, all this kind of stuff. Just mm, for the sake of running your mouth. So anyway, <clears throat> God's glory then came in even under the old covenant when they obeyed. You got me? There was a certain prescribed manner of presenting yourself before God that these people obeyed. 
and there was no idleness, no, laz- no idle, uh, laziness, idle conversation, emotional giddiness involved. There was respect and there was doing what God prescribed, your religious duty, your moral duty, your sacred duty to God. And when that was fulfilled, the Shekinah came in and filled the place. And what that meant was that God was there and whatever you needed, you needed to re- make that request to God. You needed to worship him. You needed to do whatever was appropriate so that God could, could bless that nation. God could bless that people and they could be a, a, a blessed people and, and get something out of their relationship with God. Under the new covenant, we have the glory inside of us. So whenever we meet God's requirements of righteousness, imputed righteousness, whenever we put off the old man and put on the new man, then the glory of God begins to fill us. We are spirit-filled people. Not just because we pray in tongues, because that is a manifestation of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but also because you have the, the, the heart, the mind, and the attitude to yield to God and allow Him to move into your being in such a way that you are attentive to Him, you are alert to Him, and you are ready to do God's will. That's a manifestation of glory as well. So whenever God is, is, you set out to do the will of God. You set out to please God. You set out to find out what God wants you involved in today. Those things cause the glory of God within us to rise. Just like it did under the Old Testament where it caused it to descend on the people. Within us the glory of God begins to rise so that it begins to fill our temple and fill our insides and fill our being. Begins to minister to your mind, give you peace, give you an answer, give you understanding. The best thing to do when you have a day where somebody's getting bad news and it might be you is you need to withdraw yourself into the realm of holiness. Just put yourself into the presence of God and the mind of God. And allow that glory to begin to rise up on the inside of you. And then your flesh man can't stand under that weight and under that pressure and under that power. And then God will begin to speak to you. He'll begin to give you answers. He begins to give you reassurance. He'll tell you everything's going to work out okay. If nothing else, he will let you have peace about whatever it is. If he doesn't give you a, a, a word answer, a great peace will come so that you don't get nervous about it. You're not upset about it. Your day isn't wrecked because of something somebody's concerned about on this natural realm. Which is not our source, but that realm that rises up from within us when we begin to call on God, we begin to understand that God is our source. You try it. You quit worrying just for a little bit. Quit wondering what some, when, like, when is it going to be my this and my turn for that and all that. If you let yourself quit that, and you start to allow God's righteousness to rise up on the inside of you. You'll be the most satisfied person without nothing. Huh? You had a same old, same old you had, you know, when you sat up and started worrying about what you don't have. But you get this satisfaction because there's this weightiness that's coming in to lift you up out of 
your depression and your discouragement and all of that kind of stuff. And it's a heaviness that lets you know that there's something substantial giving you that indication. The glory of God, one of the things that that we know about the glory of God is that it is tangible. It can be felt, it's a substance, and it's real. You ever have that feeling that they used to say, you know that you know that you know? That comes from the glory of God residing in you through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the glory of God. His bride is his glory. Huh? That's the outshining of of the, the bridegroom is the bride. So we actually carry the glory of God within us and around us in this world and in this life. You ever have a situation where a person starts out upset with you and then all of a sudden they flip over and get nice? You ever have a, a situation like that? There's sometimes people, they want to... They want to come at you a certain way in a negative way or something like that. Or they might have started out excited or upset or something. And then all of a sudden it kind of shifts to the... And they lose whatever it is that they had they were going to use against you. It happens to me with people too. You know, sometimes I'll start out the same way. And want to just, you know, say what I got to say and get it out real fast. And then all of a sudden there's a settling that comes where it changes the direction of my mind. It changes my words. It changes everything. That's the glory of God. See, it comes in and it settles in on things. A heaviness, a substance comes in. And it's very tangible and very real and very powerful and very strong and very present. It does not move once it comes in. And it will begin to settle so that the conversation winds up being one that's edifying, one that's encouraging, one that's, that dispels confusion. You know, most human problems really. Do you know how hard it is to understand everybody per- perfectly when we both have sin natures? You know, we're all born in sin and and shaped in iniquity. Uh, It's real hard to get across what you really mean to people all the time without being misunderstood. Most, Most conflicts are really misunderstandings. You look at the the conflict between Muslims and Christians. We claim the same God. Huh? The God that guided Abraham hmm, was a God who made covenant promise to both sons. So we really claim the same God. Even claimed some of the same teachings and principles. But because of misunderstanding, we fight each other. Look at the way it was in Northern Ireland for centuries. And it really just stopped during the 90s. Somehow God came in there and somebody with a brain said, let's quit fighting each other. But Catholics and Protestants fought each other and murdered each other for years. Threw bombs and blew up each other. You know, all kinds of stuff. Why? Misunderstandings. And so the Holy Spirit, through the glory of God, will come in and settle things in such a way that the misunderstanding element leaves That's really what happens when you have peace with somebody where you were going to strive with them and argue with them, maybe cuss them out, throw a shoe at them and 
And then think about what you're going to do some more tomorrow. Huh? The Shekinah glory of God comes in with a heaviness and it settles. And it gets you in the right frame of mind where you can look at that person and say, you know what? They work for a living just like I do. They put on shoes one at a time just like I do. They do and, and you get normal. You know, and you begin to have some understanding. So he will settle things and bring things into a normal conclusion. So he, you can say that the glory of God helps us maintain righteousness. It pulls you out of stupidity and helps you maintain righteousness. The glory of God also has a voice. In Isaiah 66. It says, they shall declare my glory among the heathen. So the glory of God has a voice. In fact, the glory speaks for himself. Whenever you preach the gospel, you are speaking the mysteries and the glory of God. So the power of God with all its weightiness, really when you preach the gospel, you're, you're speaking from a realm of glory that has convincing power to people. There's a place where people can't resist the truth of God's word. There was a statement made about the apostles in the old in the new uh, I'm sorry, in the New Testament in the book of Acts. It it said that the Paul expounded on the scriptures to the degree that those people who were opposing him could neither gainsay nor resist. In other words, gainsay means you have something back to say to somebody. You know, to gain advantage over them. They couldn't argue with it. And then they had to submit to the truth of it. They couldn't resist it. They had to accept that that was the truth. Amen. So the glory of God, the voice of the glory, has a weightiness, a convincing power to it. That even when it is opposed, it wins out. The heaviness of God's word. Even when people don't want it at first. When they don't want to hear the gospel. When they don't want to accept Jesus. When they don't want to repent of their sins. Eventually, that glory will win out over that argument. And it will convince them that God is true. It has that power, that impact. So the voice of the glory of God has a convincing power that cannot be resisted. If the priest couldn't stand to minister when the cloud came in and knocked them down and they couldn't stand up anymore. The same thing that happens when you use God's word and you preach under the unction of his glory. They cannot resist what you say. Now they might argue with you and get mad at you. But that word follows them. It's heavy over them. It will begin to convince them that God's word is true and everything, it'll, it'll expose every lie that comes against it. That's why the gospel, the Bible says the gospel is the power of God. Because those words are the power of God unto salvation. That's why the enemy does everything he can to keep you from speaking God's word. In situations, quit keep you from preaching to people that don't know the Lord. He'll make you like somebody. And that like 
is what will intimidate you from speaking up when, when it's time to preach to them. Got me? And so you'll get intimidated out of your righteous stand by your flesh. But how many of you know you can't stand under that pressure? Huh? You start getting convicted. You, you, I don't know. You, you know, well, I like so-and-so, and I just don't want to offend them. I don't want to know you don't want to obey God is what the problem is. But see, the glory of God, that, that substance, that, that uh, weight of the power of God, it gets so heavy on us sometimes that we get convicted and then we have to tell people. We have to tell those individuals. We have to share Christ with them. And there's no holding back. So that same power, that same glory that is your source for everything is also your source for words. Those words will come out with such power and such impact. All we have to do is utter them. And utter them by unction. You can't sit up and try to think of a nice way to tell somebody if they don't receive Jesus Christ they're going to go to hell. See, the reason so many people are intimidated out of saying it is because they're letting people who challenge it go unchecked. See, they don't give a response when people challenge it. Like, you know, there are people saying, well, you know, there's, there are many paths to God. And I see Christians sit there and never say anything. They just let them say that instead of saying, that's my open door to share Christ with this person. And so they'll let them let that word have the last word instead of letting the glory of God come in there and do what the glory of God wants to do. And that is convince that person that they're lying to themselves and they will go to hell if they keep holding on to that. Yeah. And so if we will trust the glory of God, my goodness, we trust it for all of our needs. We need to trust it for the needs of other people. This gospel will take care of them. This gospel will be what they will remember when, when life gets difficult and they need an answer. It happened to me. I was in the uh, beauty shop. Remember uh, Jan, your girlfriend Jerry? And Jerry used to give her testimony all the time in the beauty shop. And I, was, I worked in a different area. I couldn't see her, but I heard what she said. And at that time, I thought my life was going well. But there did come a time where my life wasn't going right. And you know what I remembered? I remembered that lady said she got saved. And at the time she said it, I was listening to her. I said, woo-wee, she was pretty bad. She needed saving. You know, whatever it was. You know, you you give your testimony, you just tell the truth, you know. And so when she talked about it, though, she, when people would listen to her, the girl that did her hair, she got her hair done there. And the girl that did her hair would kind of like introduce her. And she'd say, y'all, come on, y'all got to hear this. Jerry, tell him, tell him. And then she'll say, if somebody's on, shh, you got to listen to this, listen to this. And so she kind of got her little audience, got a little respect for her going there and, and got her little audience together. And, you know, everybody would kind of listen. And she told this whenever this girl asked her to tell it. She'd just be obedient to God and just share what, what God had done for her. But, see, later on at a time in my life, when things weren't going well for me, I remembered that. You remember because the Holy Spirit by his glory was still convincing me. See the weightiness of God. The power of God. Don't ever think 
that anything you say in defense of the gospel or in sharing Christ with people is in vain. Don't ever think that. Because you have all the weight and impact of the glory of God behind those words which will follow people. Because it's too heavy for them. They cannot stand by reason of that thing. And anything that they are believing that is anti the message of the gospel, it will not stand either. Because we have to give them what the truth of God's word is. Some of these preachers that are on television, I don't know what's wrong with them. You know, I really don't. Just because Oprah Winfrey is sitting up there and she's got billion bazillions of dollars, she ain't got more money than God. And she don't have a heaven to put nobody in or a hell to send them to. So she's nobody except somebody who needs to hear truth as far as I'm concerned. And these people get on television and talk all, she'll talk all this crazy stuff and pin them down like she's got something glorious working in her. She's standing and they're bowing. And they have prime opportunity to go down. I'd go down swinging is what I'd do. If this is my last chance to be on TV, I'm going down swinging. Huh? Yeah, I'm real sorry, but homosexuals will be over in the lake of fire. All sinners will. You got me? All sin. It's still sin. It hasn't changed. It's always been sin. I don't care what kind of age we live in or how many laws you write. How many times you say, uh, we'll let you get married. You can sign, you can, you can tell a, a, um, a mouse, you let him be a lion tonight, but I tell you one thing, if that little mouse jump out there in front of one, he's dinner. You got me? Now you can put your, your man's sanction on anything you want to. But what really matters is what God says. And if you call me, I'm going to tell you what God says because I have no other message for you. Huh? I don't have nothing cute to say to you. Huh? You'll bottle fry just like anybody, just like the guy on death row if he doesn't convert to Christ. That's your only hope. I'm here offering you hope. I don't know what you came for, but this is your hope. Huh? And it's the hope of glory. Because then they can receive what Jesus has. And they can receive the glory of God. And have that that compelling uh, power within them that is able to withstand anything that's not like God. It's wonderful. You don't have to bow to anything. You don't have to give in to anything. You know, young people. You don't have to, you know, look like sluts and, and what's them... The men with the pants is all down there. Sags. Oh, sagged, whatever. I don't know what it is. But you don't have to look like that. You don't have to be that. You can walk through this life in dignity. Now, I'm not saying look like something somebody's going to pick on and beat up and chase you home. Come on now. It's, it's like... <laughs> You know, <laughs> looking at them little Duggar kids, I'm glad they homeschooled because if they went to a public school, they have a hard time. You know, I don't know if I could send mine into some of them little clothes. But you know what I'm saying, each to his own. All I'm saying is don't don't get 
religiously stupid, but then don't think you've got to be carnal. What are you, you're trying to fit in with God. You're trying to be who God called you to be. You're not trying to fit in with the world and what the world. The world's sick of itself. They're sick of looking at themselves over and over again. They're looking for something fresh. They're looking for people who carry themselves differently with a dignity and respect that only God's glory can put on you. And so God has a way to increase the glory that's on the church and increase the glory that's on his people. God's glory is unlimited and everlasting. It increases, actually. The Bible says, as we beholding ourselves in, in the Word, so to speak, as you're, you're looking through the Word of God or reading the Word, as beholding yourself in a glass are changed from glory to glory. So every time that you uh, study the Word, or you read the Word, or you uh, get the world, meditate on the Word, there's an exchange that goes on there. You let that word settle in and the glory of God manifests and it increases inside of you. So you're changed in that glorious image from one glory to the next. If you're a Christian, you should never get satisfied with the way you are. Think you got it all. It's the biggest, saddest mistake, really the saddest mistake that's made by Christians, you know. What usually happens, what I think it comes from, is that they're not doing what God told them to do. So that's all they have is to feel good about, well, I've been in this church X number year, and I bought that pew, and Granny bought that pew, and all, you know what I'm saying. And so if that, that butters your bread, shame on you. You know, because you have the potential to go out under the glory of God and win souls for Him. To preach the gospel and bring people in into this living way of living for God. And so I think what happens oftentimes is that the church that does not evangelize and does not uh, equip its people to go out and minister like that, then that's all they have left is, you know, well, I've been here X number of years and I've been saved for so long. Blah, 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 blah. Hmm? Makes it hard for them to step out into the realm of glory where everything's fresh and everything's open and everything's good for, for God to use you to bring more sons and daughters. He's waiting for us to bring in more sons and daughters. He's got lots of room at his table and he's looking for his children to go fill it. You know how your kids will go out and they start liking somebody and bring them home and they want to keep them there all day long. Well, that's normal for people. Why don't we as a church get normal like that and start going out to make disciples out of all men? You know, we have the power to do it. The glory of God is that powerful that it can impact people in such a way that they have no resistance to what God wants done. Absolutely no resistance whatsoever. They're like putty in your hands. So if you think Uncle Buck never going to quit drinking and, and go to church and put on a suit and all that, I got news for you. You understand what you carry. See, the, the biggest deception, I think, in the church is that the enemy plays with our minds to get us to play what we have cheap and small. Just because it doesn't change when we think it ought to change. or people, And you don't know if people are changing. This work that God does is an inside thing. huh? 
they'll get up one day and start preaching you, telling you. You ever notice sometimes little kids, you think they're just playing in church and cutting out dolls and pasting up, you know, offering envelopes or whatever. They you know, paste up anything they can find in there. Crayon it up and color it up. And you think they're not paying attention to anything. And you let mom or daddy slip up and say something they shouldn't say. Or tell the untruth to somebody. And see if you won't get preached into another tomorrow. See that's the glory of God resting inside of them. It's they haven't been able to resist it. So we all little dynamite packages running around here folks. We set off to go at any off at any time. Because of, of the weight of the glory of God. The glory of God cannot be resisted in its impact on the vessel that carries it. There are times when when God will speak. The Bible says God has spoken who can help but prophesy. Who can help but declare what God has said. There are times if, if I'm starting off the meeting or something like that. And I'll feel on the inside the weight of God's glory rising up to fill my voice. And that's sometimes how prophecy manifests in certain people. It's different from for everybody. But there becomes a pressure on the inside in my spirit that will rise up to get my voice. Now how many of y'all pray in tongues? Remember that happened to you the first time you... You know, whoever prays, usually people in here, Pastor Shirley, lay hands on them. And she said, now you feel that in your stomach, don't you? Mm-hmm. Well, it's going to come up in your mouth. Yeah, huh? It's the same thing with prophecy. The glory manifests the same way to your words. There will be times when you're around people. And you want to say something and your mind tells you, maybe I shouldn't. And then you try to go away and then you have to come back. That's the glory of God. The heaviness, the weight, the pull, the irresistible pull of God is pulling you to open your mouth. He doesn't tell you. You're trying to sit there and say, well, I wonder what I'm supposed to say. The Bible says, open your mouth, stupid, and I'll fill it with words. You're not supposed to try and think ahead of time what you will say. The Holy Spirit will give you what to say when you get there. But you got to get there first. God's problem with us is always getting us there. Many times you'll have encounters with people. You know, say somebody you worked with for a lot of years finally gets saved. And they'll tell you, you know, well, I went to to church and they did this and did that and, and they I got I got born again I got saved and you say oh well welcome to the family of God and they look at you funny like they didn't know you were saved you got me you never let him out see and don't tell me there weren't opportunities the Holy Ghost is chomping at the bit to get sinners into the kingdom all the time and believers, because we play what we have cheap, we don't think it's going to have an impact. Or we're so salesman oriented. You know, we can't close the deal. You know, nobody wants to just sow seeds and preach and let God confirm his word with signs. We all want to close the deal. 
And if we don't feel like they're wanting to pray the prayer and we can say we want a soul, then we're not interested. Got me? So you need to know how to just speak up for God, period. No matter what the conversation is, what the topic is, you can always, God, if you open your mouth, God will always have a way to wind the conversation around to him. He's like that. huh? That's what the glory of God does. It brings glory to him. So don't worry, you'll get stuck in a stupid conversation with somebody that goes nowhere. The whole conversation will always come around to God's glory and what he wants to say. Same thing happened with Jesus. You know, remember the little boy that Jesus was up on the mountain with a few of the disciples. He came down and behind his back, the wannabe disciples was trying to have a healing meeting. Huh? And couldn't get that little boy healed. And the devil was throwing him in the fire and throwing him. And the devil throwing that little boy all around the place, tearing it up. He had been in the fire, been in the water, been jammed, been choked, been burned, and they still can't cast the devil out. So the boy's daddy told on him, and I don't blame him. Said, Jesus, your disciples couldn't cast this devil out of my boy. Look at what he's letting them do down here. So Jesus just starts talking to him. He says, well, you know, how long is this? And I'm thinking to myself, why would you ask how long? <laughs> you know, for preachers, you know, we, we don't want to know how long you've been crippled. It might take our faith totally away from us. So I don't ask that question. But Jesus, he can ask anything. He was buying time. That's what you got to learn how to do sometimes when you talk to people. Talk about the weather. Talk about how cold it is. Talk about how hot hell is. I mean, I, you know, preachers can get it in there. Don't take me long. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I may not have a lot of time. You know, <laughs> get on out to the to the chase. But you can you can do that and kind of disarm the person from being angry. See, pulling him over into faith, letting him know he was concerned about him, letting him know. That's what the glory does. It convinces. It pulls them over to God's side. God's way of thinking. Ripens them and makes them open to what God has to say. And what God wants to portray to them. So never underestimate the glory of God, folks. That's your source for everything. That's your source for getting up in the morning. That's your source for, for what you need from, from in a material realm. Because the glory really dictates the material realm. It manufactures everything that you see out here. You ask Henry Ford where he got the idea for the Model T, which smart people don't need a whole lot of. All he had was one car, and that boy's still cleaning up. His children, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren are still cleaning up off one so you don't have to have a little variety for everybody, something sporty, something this, something. He just had one thing, and if you wanted it, you bought that, and you drove off in it. And so it doesn't take much, but I'm telling you, every inspired idea that produces for humanity comes from the realm of glory. Is cars out there now waiting for people to ask God to give them inspiration? There's artificial limbs out there now. And I'm talking about things God's shown me. You know, not that I'm seeing everything, okay? You know, I ain't the Long Island medium. 
And I ain't a closer either. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but you know what I mean. When you pray, God reveals things to you. And so when, when you see things, you know that there's a realm out there that's so full of ideas and so full of opportunities that is waiting to put its pressure against human flesh so that it can push that idea in to that person so they can receive it. Amen. I remember our first, first uh, conference we had. I saw some things that were artificial limbs for children. And I said, is there some doctors in here? And, and there are some two women. One lady was a doctor. The other one, her friend, was a nurse. And so when I said, I told her, I said, you know what? I said, God's showing me some limbs. And he wants to give that that inspiration to somebody who can take this to the next step because it's going to help children with deformities. And I asked her, I said, did you want to receive that from God? And she said, oh, well, I'm just interested in anything, you know, to get religious on you. I'm just interested in anything God has for me. You know, I'm thinking, can you say yes or no? You see, that's, this is the problem. This is the problem. You can start out inspired and end up stupid. Just because you don't want to receive what God has for you. But if you will use your faith to get the first little bit of it, his glory will come in and push the rest of it towards you so that you can get the whole thing. That's true about anything we get from God. That's true about your paycheck. That's true about your house. If you ask God for something, he has the whole package for you. What happens many times is we get the first part of it. And we run off in giddiness, in emotionalism, telling everybody what we got. And by the time you get finished telling five people, the devil has talked you out of the full picture of what God had for you. Huh? And then we're mad at God because, well, this ain't really what I was thinking I want. This ain't what I asked for. Huh? And I ain't talking about your husband or your wife either. Stop it. Cut it out. Let's be nice. Huh? Your husband and wife is still in the making just like you are. They're being made into his glorious image. Praise the Lord. There's hope. Huh? There's hope. But I'm telling you, glory is our source for everything, folks. We don't have to fear. We don't have to be concerned. You don't have to think of lack. You don't have to feel that you lack anything. Because the glory of God filled the temple so that they could not stand to minister. And they were ministering under God. But then there was a greater glory that came in that knocked them down. So what happened was they were standing here worshiping God. And God decides to show up for real. See, there's a nice presence of God. You know, everybody feels that. You stick your little hands out and they get warm. Or, they, you know, you get a little tingle here and there and you start pressing in for more. Well, there is a glory in God that will come in and go, boop, here I am. This is more. Huh? More knocks you over. More takes care of what's wrong with you. More gets your paycheck to you. More is what gets you to the, the place where you can have 
peace and ease about things that you were concerned about, nervous about, stuff that you caused your hair to fall out six months ago. Now you got peace about it. You understand me? Well, more did that. The glory of God did that because it came in. You opened yourself up to a small portion of it. And God saw a bigger opening and just came and said, boom, here's the answer to your problem. Here it is. It's over with now because I'm here and I have everything with me. So don't ever play what we have cheap, folks. Don't ever go halfway on anything or get part of something and struggle with the rest of it. You let God do what he needs to do. You let him be God to you. Because this earth is not our source. God has riches and a realm out in glory that we have not seen yet. That's what the Bible means. When it says, I have not seen nor ear heard, it's talking about the realm of glory. Neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God's prepared for those that love him. But he said we can get a little part of it by our spirit. So you get an inkling of something out there, something bigger than you, something that's heavy but in a good way, that can outweigh any problem that you might have. If there's a heaviness that comes to you from the world, God has a heavier heaviness to put it out of, out of place and, and bring joy to you and gladness to you. He has that. That's available to us. And it starts with when, when you receive the Lord, when re- you receive the fullness of God. You allow the fullness of his glory to come into your being. And then you can draw from that and continue to live off it. And it increases the more you draw from it. Because it's everlasting. It's un, uh, it, it's un, uh, there's no limit to it. It's limitless. So you can't really... Use up everything God has. I know y'all really want to and you try to. huh? But you can't use up everything God has. He can make more. He's a creative God. He doesn't, he doesn't care how many times you ask. And he doesn't care how many times you blew what you said you were going to be a good steward over the last time he gave you something. You got me? He doesn't care. He doesn't care. He has so much he doesn't care. He's got no limits on what he will give to his children. And so if we'll understand this and we'll partake of it, you know, you'll live a blessed life. You'll live a life that's carefree. You'll live a life of unlimited everything because we know that his glory has a voice. It has an impact. It has a weight. He's given us to live in a wealthy place. And the glory has transforming power. So if your problem is you and your fears, your big mouth and your whatever it is, glory has an answer for all of that. huh? Because it has transforming power. As we behold ourselves in God's word, the Bible says we're changed into his glorious image from glory to glory. So you're really... I don't know if you've lost weight recently, but you're really heavier than you were before. Heavier in God. Got me? The thing that really matters. It's a good thing to be heavy in God, folks. It's a good thing to understand him, to rest in what he's done for us and what he can do. That he's increasing us every day. If we'll submit to it, we'll understand and draw from that source. Things in this earth are not going to be good for a long time. You got me? For a long time. The whole world is in debt. 
And who knows when the, the last guy holding all the cards is going to call for his call his markers in. You understand what I'm saying? So it's not, but, and so Christians are going to have to know more than anything. Say, well, you know, I wasn't looking to them anyway for nothing. Yeah, I was looking to my God. I'm not going to stop looking to my God. Huh? He could manufacture something in, in your mind and you could be the next Bill Gates, whoever. You'd be bigger than somebody like that. You got me? Because Christians know how to do things with such ease and lack of effort. You know, you won't die early with pancreatic cancer because of stress and all that kind of stuff. You won't go out here backwards like some of them do. Because God's glory is what sustains us, folks. He just needs people who will be obedient to him and get his ideas in the earth so that he can bless humanity through our source, which is his glory. Amen. Why don't we stop? Father in heaven, we thank you. Thank our friends on YouTube. And we thank you from the ministry of the Watchman Church for All Nations. Thank you, Detroit. I'll see you Thursday. Praise God. Amen. If anybody needs prayer, why don't you come up? I'll pray for you. Amen.